0: Welcome back to Conversations with Cohen. Uh, I'm really excited for today's guest. I, I hope you really enjoy, you know, from AMLAW 200 law firms down to 100 person firms, the question keeps on coming up. What are law firms doing with their offices? So who better to ask than a law firm expert? Today, we have Catherine Heath on the podcast. And as I like to do at the beginning of every episode, Catherine would be so kind to introduce yourself to us.
1: Great. Thank you, Greg. Um, My name is Catherine Heath, and I'm the CEO of HYL Architecture. It's a um, boutique uh, architectural design practice that I founded in 2014. About half of the work we do is with law firms, and it ranges in any type of size. We've done projects as small as 5,000 square feet to 300,000 square feet. We're working across the country um, with some of the big uh, law firms, and, um, and then we're also doing some work internationally as well.
0: Would you be so kind, just to as the audience gets uh, to know you a little bit better? Would you be so kind to share some some of those clients that you work with?
1: Sure, absolutely. So um, we recently completed the offices in Washington, D.C. for Williams and Connolly at the Wharf. Um, and we are currently working on Morgan Lewis's Philadelphia headquarters. Um, we're working with Kroll in a couple of different markets. Um, and we have a long-standing relationship with Arnold and Porter. We've done a, a, like maybe, I don't know, five or six different offices for them, ranging from 5,000 square feet in New Jersey to uh, 300 and some thousand square feet in Washington, D.C.,
0: Wonderful. And uh, and I think I have the honor, if this is correct, if this is the first podcast you're doing, is that right? Oh, yes.
1: This is my first podcast. So. <laughs>
0: All right. OK, All right. Well, we'll, uh, well, we'll have some fun and uh, and uh, and, uh, and and be gentle. So let me uh, l- let me just ask the first question, which is what's the biggest change that law firms have made in how they think about their real estate? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so we have been doing quite a bit of research uh, post-pandemic and we work with firms of all sizes and we still come back around to the same questions, which is how much space do we need? And uh, we're seeing a different type of strategy in terms of planning for the long term. Um, years ago, we, would, we used to try to project out 10 or 15 years, thinking about how long the lease would be, making sure that they had at least five years of growth built into the workspace on the day they moved into that space. Um, but what we're seeing now is a reluctance to carry extra space for growth. Um, and I don't think that's related necessarily to people's growth strategies. I think some of them are predicting to grow, but they're not willing to carry a lot of excess space. So, I'm seeing a, ch- a change towards embracing some of the new workplace strategies that are emerging for law firms and thinking that, well, maybe we take the space we need right away, but we'll grow into some space sharing types of strategies as we go more hybrid down the road. Um, and uh, so they're overall shrinking their footprint um, by being a little bit strategic.
0: Is that, a, is that financially motivated? If you, again, if you're painting a broad brush, is it, is it financially motivated that, that way that change in strategic thinking?
1: I think a lot of it is financially motivated because, um, as we know, real estate is such a big expense. um, And there's also the sense that well, no one's going into the office or very few people are going into the office, why should we carry the cost of all of this real estate? So it's sort of forcing people into um, a hard look at how they're using the space um, just to make sure they're getting it right. But I think there's a, a lot of concern about not getting it right, either predicting they need too much space. And then having that expense, um, you know, I know that has impacted some firms um, in terms of their business models over time. Lots of people are trying to shed space, uh, sublease space right now. That's not always easy, and you don't always get your dollars back on that. So, um, so I think people are trying to get that number closer to what they actually need, and they're a little reluctant to take the extra space for growth that uh, that we used to see.
0: So as as law firms think differently about working and this this hybrid adopting this hybrid work environment, what's the what's the biggest challenge law firms are facing in adopting this hybrid work strategy?
1: Well, I think one of the things that uh, we always talk through with our clients is um, just trying to get an understanding of their goals and their policies around uh, what they would like people to do in the office. Some folks are driven by trying to reduce their space footprint and um, sort of making something like a hoteling scheme happen. Others are wanting to get people back into the office um, to drive culture, mentorship, and other types of, um, you know benefits of having the interaction in the office. So, they're trying to bring people back into the office and making the office as welcoming as possible, having um, excellent amenities, very ergonomic and um, technologically advanced workspaces, um, and a culture that's reflected in the design uh, to try to engage their people. So, um, so, those are really the two approaches. So, if you start with that goal, um, then they start to look at, well, what are the so let's look at the policies next. What are how many days a week are you going to have people in? Are you going to try to have people come in on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, or try to get most people in on two particular days a week, for example, and let people work remotely on the other days? Um, that's going to result in a very different number than trying to spread that hybrid workplace across the the whole um, week. So for each firm we work with, we need to do an analysis that. That kind of takes into account their growth projections, of course, as well as their policies and goals and how all of those things fold together to result in the space requirement that they're going to need. And, it, and the numbers could be very different. You just can't go back to the same rentable square foot per attorney and try to do a back of the napkin type of uh, analysis on that.
0: So that sounds to me like the biggest one of the biggest challenges for this uh, this adopting the hybrid work is. is digging deep within an organization to understand what the policies and strategies are. So that's, it, it can't be a broad brush.
1: Correct. Yes, we need to do the same type of due diligence in coming up with the space requirements for a law firm as a law firm would do for their own clients in putting together a case. Quite frankly, there's a lot of details to be resolved, and um, it's it's not a cookie cutter type of solution. Uh, If you get a cookie cutter type of solution, there's a good chance you're going to end up with um, a lot of underutilized space.
0: So, if if I'm a law firm and I adopt a hybrid work work strategy. Does it mean less real estate?
1: It might mean less real estate. The number one thing that is going to, well, there's two things that really contribute. By far the most effective thing to reduce your footprint is going to be Um, Assigning smaller spaces—we've already seen a trend towards that. Many uh, different firms are using kind of a universal footprint of offices. I think changing from the two size to the single size was already something that was happening pre-pandemic. The next move that you can make, which would actually move the needle, is to look at how you're assigning the spaces. So, if you take an if you have an individual office assignment for every worker. you're going to need a certain footprint no matter what your hybrid strategy is. If you said you could work from home four days a week, but everyone gets their same space, there's nothing you can do with those spaces when the people are not in. But if you start to take the leap towards space sharing, which number of firms are starting to go down that route and some of them are doing it very successfully right now, um, now you can actually recapture the underutilized space when people are absent for those certain days and uh, try to use it for other folks or for visitor offices and, um, or just uh, maybe just carry less spaces in general.
0: Um, But how do law firms, um, how do law firms deal with the scene? Mentoring is done by senior leadership to younger, younger attorneys, but often I would imagine senior attorneys want larger space, right? So how do you, so how do you, how do you balance that?
1: Yeah, that is a tricky one. I think that um, having engagement at all levels of uh, the organization, when going through the choices that you can make about the workspace, is really critical. Um, the way you craft your committees in terms of getting feedback on on the different strategies you could be using, you definitely want to have um, a broad mix. Um, it is true that you really want to make sure that the senior leaders want to be back in the office. Um, I think some folks want to be back in um, for different reasons. Sometimes it's generational. Sometimes um, it's because they have an easy commute and, and they or they prefer to focus in the office. And some of them like the social engagement that happens there. And sometimes it's just because that's what you're used to and you want to be in the office and you think that is the only place where the work gets done. Um, now we know that work can get done in many different places, but you can lose that connection to other people. By far, the most important thing that people want to get out of going into the office is their interaction with others. If you come in and the whole office is dead, it's not, it doesn't feel like you came in for anything. Um, so I think that's why some of the firms are trying to drive people in on days um, either by practice group or even the whole organization to try to come in on the same day so that you can interact with your colleagues, get that mentorship, and, and foster those um, those networks internally.
0: Um, while some might say the risk is taking too much space, I think you might say the risk is actually taking not enough space. Isn't that right? Uh-
1: Yeah, I think what we're starting to see is a few firms starting to require people to come in on um, more days per week. And um, if you are... So a few of our clients are, are getting people to come in on the same days of the week. So I'm just going to pick, I'm going to make up an example. So say you have a firm and you want everyone to try to be in on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, for example. Well, we need to actually do a model to see how many people that means and make sure that each one of those folks has a space to sit. So while your occupancy on a Friday might only be at 15%, if you're trying to get 80% on Tuesday and Wednesday, or even 70%, um, you need at least offices or works, you know, like workspaces that are um, ergonomically designed and technologically outfit, I will say, for um, that 70% of folks um, to be in all at the same time on that day. And I think... Um, so, if you were to average it across the week and just look at an average occupancy, maybe it's only 30 35%. But if you're looking at that number, you might not have the right kind of spaces. So, if you're thinking, oh, well, those people who come in, they're, they're only coming in for that day or two, they can just sit in a conference room or a collaboration space or in the, the cafe or something like that. Well, that's going to start to frustrate people over time. Um, if you think about what attorneys do in particular and also what the staff that are supporting attorneys. A lot of it is reading. It's work on the phone. It's things that are hard to do um, all day long in an open area. It's a little different from someone who is a fully remote person coming in for, for example, conference or training or a special event that just needs to drop into space for a few hours and use it like a business lounge. They don't need a monitor. They can just work off their laptop, et cetera. But if you're talking about kind of Bringing people in and trying to go through the grind of an entire workday in something that's effectively a phone booth that doesn't have the right type of, um, you know, technology setup, but for example, a a monitor so you can see something larger on the screen, Um, maybe the the desk doesn't adjust or the chair isn't made for a task chair, it might be more of a, a meeting room type of seat. It's not going to perform the way that people need to perform, and that is going to create anxiety for folks, and they're going to think, well, I can't really get my work done in the office. It's going to drive them away from the office. So um, I think people have to work through the goals that they're trying to establish and making sure that the strategy and the goals are knitted together. Each firm is going to be different, though, and I think that's one of the things that um, I don't think everyone... Uh, Everyone wants to know what everyone else is doing, but they don't always want to go through the whole mechanisms themselves. You have to have a little bit of boldness and saying, no, this is what we want to do. This is our strategy. And um, and I think that's going to create the best results.
0: If we if we step back a few years, how was space planning done by law firms historically?
1: So um, as someone who's been designing law firms since the 1980s, I <laughs> um, uh- I can say that it was, it used to be very cookie cutter. Like I'm I'm talking about, um, you know, you had a formula basically. You could say, well, it's always going to be X number of rentable square feet per attorney. There was ratios of partners to associates. There were ratios of associates to secretary stations. And almost everyone did the same thing. And the differences in the design weren't really programmatic for the most part. They came down to the finishes and the look and feel and the the cool details. So as a designer, it used to be very very easy to design a law firm, much easier than a corporate work environment where you really had to drill down and figure out what that business was about. I have seen a really big change in how um, these firms are being designed now. Um, each firm is is very unique. They have different practice areas. They have different um, workplace models. They have different, as we said, different policies about how many days a week you're going to come in, um, and different goals. Different people are recruiting. Um, So these are all um, variables to the formula, if you will. And so you can't just sort of say, well, all firms are doing this. We know that in in business in general, firms like to to see what everybody else is doing and find out, well, everyone else is, you know, even if you look at how they uh, associate compensation works or how, uh, you know, other type of, you know, metrics that law firms use for operational uh, matters. There's a lot of, well, this is what everybody else is doing, so we should do it too. I don't think that applies in design anymore. I think that's what's resulted in so much wasted space in so many law firms is because people are relying too much on what everybody else is doing and not thinking the problem through for themselves.
0: Um, so with with the struggle, uh, the number one struggle and or one of the biggest struggles is this drawing people back to the office. Mm-hmm. So so, what's going to draw people back to the office?
1: Well, I would love to be able to say, as an architect, that um, that design is what draws people back into the office. But um, I. I don't, I can't say that definitively. We've done interviewed hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, lawyers and staff at all different sizes and uh, varieties of law firms. And by far, the most important thing is the other people that are in the office. They want to be back in and they're gaining value from being with their colleagues. And so, therefore, um, to relate that back to space, I would say that spaces that foster interaction and Um, can convey kind of an energetic vibe in the office are going to be the most valuable types of workplaces for people. They don't want to go back to dark and lonely hallways with all the doors closed where you can't see other people. I think engagement is what um, they're craving. So to the extent that we can design spaces that foster that engagement, I think that's going to go a long way.
0: And what what does that look like practically? (laughs)
1: Um, So I think if you're talking about the work environment, um, having a level of visibility in the work environment so that you can see when other people are in is important. We've been seeing a lot of glass walls and offices for years. This is not a new thing. It's not a post-pandemic thing. But I think uh, it's becoming more important to be able to just know when your colleagues are in and feeling that you're not the only one on the floor when you come into the office. Um, So I think that's part of it. I think that um, spaces that can transition, um, to a social space, uh, we, you know, depending on the size of the firm, it could all, it could just be the little coffee spot, or it could be more of a full-blown cafe, depending on the size of the organization. Um, that's always a nice place to, to meet with people. Um, also, if you're in the conference center, the breakout spaces for meeting rooms are, are, really important to think through um, spaces where you could drop off to the side and have a conversation. So basically anything that allows you to, um, you know, have a personal one-on-one with somebody somewhere in the office ad hoc, not necessarily scheduled, but someplace where you could run into your colleague and then get to know them a little better or think through or just ask a question. Um, These are the spaces that are really valuable that you cannot replace from, you know, the remote work. You can't randomly run into somebody when you're, you're working on Zoom. So those are the spaces that have become most important when you're in the office.
0: So uh, if I'm a law firm and I'm thinking about perhaps being an older space and, and, I, and I'm up to, I've got a decision to make, perhaps I've got a lease expiring in the next few years, three or mm-hmm. four years, and I want to get ahead of the situation and I want to start planning and thinking of things strategically. What are the top three questions that law firms should be asking themselves.
1: So, I think that um, that's a great question. First of all, um, everyone needs to be really forward thinking about um, space, and number two, expense um, of operations after personnel. So, the first thing to start with are the goals. Um, what are the? Is the goal going to be driven? by a reduction in space because you're trying to hit a certain metric? Or is your goal going to be to try to activate the space that you have and try to get as many people back into the office um, in in order to potentially drive performance up or to uh, get the next generation of folks um, mentored and, and trained? So, those are each each individual firm really needs to think through, first and foremost, let's set those goals out there of where do we want to go with it and why are we making the change? The second step then would be to figure out what is the tolerance going to be for um so making a more radical move, such as sharing space or, or hoteling, as it's called. Um, we know hoteling has had a lot of success in the business world for you know, consulting firms such as Deloitte or PwC for many, many years. And we're seeing some firms use this. But it does take a lot of change management to try to help people embrace that strategy. Sometimes the numbers do the talking. If you've gone through the model, you can say, well, this is how much space we will save. This will translate to a certain dollar. um um, that is a compelling argument, um, and just trying to to get everybody on board with that would be part of that process. but first and foremost, as leadership, you have to understand uh, where where you're where you fall in the spectrum. Are you going to um, want to push for that or are you not going to want to push for that? Sometimes you just want to wait and see what the number is before you make that decision so there's a little bit of back and forth there. Um, And I would say um, the third thing to start thinking about is the next generation. Who are you trying to recruit? What type of message do you want to convey? Um, Your space should be very much aligned with your mission and values. Um, We're seeing sometimes that the older spaces don't really fit with the modern interpretation of an organization. If they're um, aspiring, for example, to be seen as a more technologically advanced firm, but their space is very dated. It doesn't really convey that message. So, um, and and it's likewise if you're conveying that you have a very transparent and open door environment, but you have very dark hallways and everything's closed off, you're not really conveying that message that you're kind of open and inclusive. So, I think that thinking about who you're trying to attract in, who you're trying to retain in your firm, what is going to be important to them, and can you align your space and message that is going to go a long way. Um, but these are all things that people can be thinking about before you even start talking about space.
0: Very interesting. Um, you know, I know this was your, your first podcast. Um, so uh, I may, you may have had uh, expectations or things that you thought we would cover uh, that we didn't. So I, I like to, Provide a, a platform for you to be able to uh, to just share. You know, are there things that you you would hope that we would talk about? Are the things that I may have missed the things that are important for law firms to be thinking about with regards to uh, to architecture? Um, you know, would love for you to uh, to just share.
1: Sure. Well, I'm going to circle back to what we were talking about before with the metrics um, because I think that's really um, a really important point. Um, Uh, I know a lot of people have talked before about use of benchmarking in law firms to try to come up with a space strategy. Um, I mentioned some of the metrics uh, such as rentable square foot per attorney and some of the ratios that used to be used. But this whole process of benchmarking is really dead now. Um, The metrics don't mean anything because they aren't really based on the same variables. So it's kind of, it's, if you only designed your space to benchmarks, you would not get, no one would get any space that Suited them. They would all get this sort of a generic, off-the-shelf space that really doesn't kind of align with any of the features that we talked about, um, and probably wouldn't wouldn't serve their needs for the long term. So, I I think that. We, shouldn't, we should really move away from the idea of benchmarking as a tool for trying to develop space because I think the variables need to be studied um, in a much more refined way. Um, and the second part of that is to make sure that people really understand the idea of peak day occupancy as driving the the need for space. There can be a little bit of float there with certain spaces that can do double duty as workspace and other types of spaces. But for the most part, we need to have a very realistic view about um, the peak occupancy day and figuring out what are the demands on space to make sure that when people come into the office, they have the right kind of space to support the work we're doing. So um, I can't emphasize that enough. I am seeing a lot of people make mistakes there in terms of their assignments assumptions about occupancy thinking about overall averaging and not really considering what's going to happen um, in the peak day and you know a year or three years from now again leases are kind of a long term thing you want to think out pretty far ahead um, and and that's going to take um, some boldness to really anticipate what what could happen there
0: and that's why law firms need someone like you to uh, to help them to think about the things that they're not thinking about.
1: Yes. Well, that's obviously something that we can help with. Um, that is, I, I would say every single project starts with that type of due diligence um, and, you know, any type of um, workplace strategy that we undertake we want to make sure that we're looking at it and slicing and dicing it all of the right ways to make sure that we're advising our clients we know how much money is involved in these transactions we do not take it lightly and uh, and this is really important to get it right we definitely don't want to do a back of the napkin type of estimate on on your space requirements when you're um, you know getting ready to sign a lease for uh, what is uh, you know quite frankly, a lot of money and a big part of your operational spent. So we definitely um, can help um, firms come up with what is the right number in the range that they're comfortable with for the future. And design a space is flexible to stand the test of time, even as we have these volatile cycles that we're going through.
0: So how can listeners get in touch with you?
1: So, um, I can easily find me on LinkedIn. Again, I'm Catherine Heath. I'm the CEO of HYL Architecture. We have offices in Washington, D.C. and in New York. And um, and my email information is available on the LinkedIn page, but I'll say it here. It's catherine.heath at hylarch.com.
0: Well, wonderful, Catherine. Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time and and uh, sharing your experiences with us. It's a it's a fascinating time to be a a law firm thinking about their real estate because of how things are changing so so much, uh, so dramatically. And uh, and can't thank you enough for for taking the time to be with us.
1: Thank you for the opportunity. It was great fun.
0: All right. We'll see everyone next time on Conversations with Cohen. Um, bye bye.